Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we have a few news items uh, from recent weeks that have caught our eye here on Punching Out. uh, Things that are labor-related, of course, but really about businesses screwing up to some degree. All of them. Without further, like, introduction i i think the first one we want to talk about here is um buzzfeed news which uh, went from being the offshoot of a listicle corporation to being something that actually did reporting and won pulitzers and you know was providing good journalism by all accounts is or probably by this point has shut down it's no more they will not be doing the whole award-winning journalism thing anymore. And this is part of a trend that we've spoken about on Punching Out of media companies going kaput, uh, Gawker, Vice is now bankrupt. All of these companies seem to be going out of business. The thing that struck me about BuzzFeed's closure is like something better could have come of this. Like, yeah, It was not like faded in economic stone that BuzzFeed would go under in this way, that they would have to shutter their news division entirely. This was the result of choices, um, choices made by their CEO, um, Jonah Peretti, I think is the Uh name. Weird guy. Yeah. So our, our source for this is a Vanity Fair article from April 20th. By Charlotte Klein and Joe Pompeo. It is called BuzzFeed News is shutting down. I'm shocked and sad, but not totally surprised. And it is about Peretti announcing that BuzzFeed News is going to have to shut down. And one of the coolest things that happens in this article is that Peretti is questioned and criticized by people at this meeting who tell him, you gave us a year to show profitability. You gave us a year to meet these metrics. We were ahead of our metrics for quarter one. You know, what's, why are you suddenly cutting us out? And Peretti admits, boilerplate admission, that he could have done better on some things as CEO. And they kind of say like, well, the thing is, you could have brought us in at any point. You had a decade to make us part of the process here, and you didn't. And I think one of the things you're going to see as a kind of through line in all of these news items is that the reason businesses like this end up failing when it's not faded in stone that they will fail is because they don't trust their workers. They don't hmm. trust the people who actually do all the things that the business does. And as a result, when a CEO doesn't bring in, doesn't bring the, the the labor into the room and say, here's what we need to do in order for BuzzFeed News to survive or whatever, you end up having a meeting like this. 
where you say this has to shut down. The stock market isn't performing as it should be. And I'm sorry that it's happening this way, but really I have no choice. While everyone is telling you, actually, you had several, you had 11 years of choices that you made the wrong ones. I, I, I think the thing, the like attitude I saw most about all of this, you know, from the people I follow on Twitter, media types, was more than other like shutdowns. There was specific criticism of Peretti as CEO and questions of, well, why does he get to decide what BuzzFeed does next? If he spent 10 years building this thing that by his own admission didn't work. All of these people who won awards and such are now without a job. And this guy gets to uh, go off on another new adventure at BuzzFeed where he'll, I mean, wreck something something else. Yes. But also, do something probably less valuable in the process. It is really odd and unusual given that it's an offshoot of an otherwise pretty profitable platform. And like the specific reason 72 point air quotes that was given for shutting it down was that social media costs were, were getting out of hand. So did like the thousand dollar month Twitter subscription bankrupt them? Was that it? like nothing's just so fundamentally changed as far as that goes. Uh, so it's just a really bizarre situation where the only bits of actual evidence other than lack of revenue are social media costs and the stock market price that didn't recover, which is uh, ridiculous in my opinion. Like why a, a company shouldn't, pay so close an attention to the stock market value that it craters the rest of the company or just, you know, blows it up intentionally. That's a theme, guys. I think also when you're talking specifically about a company that ostensibly does journalism, there needs to be some sort of uh, barrier between the commercial side and what the output is, because otherwise... You run into journalistic problems. And here it doesn't seem like that was the case. Like the editorial side was responding to business pressures rather than the other way around. I mean, for for that situation to obtain, for you to have a separation between the journalism side or the the editorial side and the business side you would have to live in a country that gave a damn about journalism and media coverage. But we live in a country where people want to feel smart, but they don't want to actually be informed, especially a certain subset of people. They just want to be told the things that they already agree with. And when you have that and you couple it with a class of wealthy people who no longer feel that, who who accurately can see that owning media outlets is no longer necessary to push their political agenda because now, well, everything is pushing their political agenda. They can get people to do it for them beyond, you know, the stuff that they already own. The result is there's there's just no such thing as journalistic independence 
within a publicly traded company. That's just not going to happen. Because again, as we've talked about with other companies, at any moment, shareholders can revolt. At any moment, they can be used as the excuse the same way that they're used as the excuse for union busting. They can be used as the excuse for, in this case, I guess, news busting. For just saying, yeah, we can't do this anymore because the rest of the company isn't performing up to where we thought it would? There is... There's also sort of um, what is becoming, unfortunately, a recurring punching out theme here where AI is involved. The specter of AI is haunting all companies. This Vanity Fair article notes that Peretti had been talking in recent months about using AI to generate content for the site and had already dabbled in that. There's also... This tweet from just this past week, where quoting here from Brian Merchant, who uh, was covering uh, BuzzFeed talking to investors, Jonah Peretti specifically talking to investors, uh, quote, over the next few years, generative AI will replace the majority of static content. So that's good. Does anybody know what that means? No, but... (laughs) This guy's all in on it. He believes that he can replace all of the reporters with AI. Wasn't there, hold up, wasn't the CEO of Insider doing the same thing? He sent out a memo. I know Defector covered it. And by the way, Defector, what a counter model to all of this because it happens to be worker owned they are able to be profitable in a way that is sustainable for the company by, you know, not exposing, not overexposing themselves to the whims of a bunch of rich, fill in your favorite insult here. But they covered that the insider CEO sent this note out to the journalist there saying, basically running out like a tip list of ways to use AI in ways that you shouldn't. And extremely funny, obviously, that you would send your journalists at a business and tech site a note about, I've been playing around with AI and look what we can do with this. And then saying, but you want to be careful of plagiarism concerns in a note about how you should use AI. Very interesting. Wonderful. Yeah. Great ideas. He has very... 21st century ideas about what news is, what plagiarism is, what AI is and does. And I'm sure that this bodes well for Insider's future. What I'm hearing here is a genius of the year frontrunner. I mean, honestly, by then we might have to just nominate AI as the genius (laughs) of the year. Gosh, you gave away the bit. Dang it. For the record, AI is disqualified from winning any Genius Awards. It is <laughs> official. It is not real genius. It's just crowdsourcing <laughs> its genius from the internet. It's fake genius. And, okay. And non-union workers, to be clear, who are currently on strike, right. by the way. Just saying. One last bit on the... Well, it's BuzzFeed tangential because it's about sort of the media industry... 
I, I mentioned earlier that Vice is going bankrupt, and one of the things they did before it was publicly revealed that they would be going bankrupt is shuttered their uh, video games division, Waypoint, which had uh, for many years done work that I really respected. Uh, their podcast was one that, like, the episodes they did on labor in the gaming industry are episodes that I wish we had done. Like, you ever get so mad listening to something because, damn, I wish I'd done this. They often did that level of work. And Waypoint had a troubled history within the company as far as, you know, staying afloat and trying to meet the company's ever-growing metrics. And to sort of soothe over investors there, they had pitched themselves as a subscription service. You could pay five bucks a month to get more content from Waypoint. And that was successful. They like turned a profit from that. But um, here is a tweet from Patrick Klepek where he talks about how that was sort of a cursed chalice in a way. Quote, Waypoint was profitable. The company bragged about having a subscription business with steady income. The company stopped bragging when we did too well right out of the gate and they didn't like the lack of growth. Being profitable wasn't enough. And that is sort of a common theme in, frankly, a lot of these sorts of closures that are going, not just in the media industry, but in any industry. There's a desire to chase growth rather than settle for steady year-over-year profits. You know, And on that note, here we transition to the news that uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is closing its stores. Who can possibly forget the great memories they had at Bed Bath & Beyond? Um, <laughs> the as seen on TV section, the endless supply of 20% off coupons. I wish we had prepared more for this in memoriam. You know, yes. Tinkling piano music. Truly. I, I have a joke somewhere rattling around about Bed Bath & The Great Beyond, but you know. That was, that was the joke I was going <laughs> to... <laughs> Anyways, like I, I said, I know you've been doing this together for a while. <laughs> Same joke. They're uh, going out of business. And CNN has an article from uh, April 26th that gives the headline The $11.8 billion mistake that led to Bed Bath and Beyond's demise. Now, I am no economics expert. But is $11.8 billion a lot of dollars to make a mistake with? That's a big oopsie. That's I mean, a, that's a whoopsie daisy. For for all of us here, yes. But for certain people, they make a $44 billion mistake and just, you know, do, double and triple and quadruple down on it over the next year and a half. Built different. <laughs> the problem seems to be that you cannot make an $11.8 billion mistake if you didn't have the $11.8 billion to begin with, hmm. which is really not that, not that what Bed Bath, so not that what Bed Bath and the Great Beyond did doesn't suck regardless. But they loaded themselves up with so much debt, buying shares back because their shareholders were constantly angry at them. Which, can we talk about how moronic you need to be to be angry at a store 
that sells things that are normally on like late night infomercials. You should be happy it's making you any money at all. If you're earning one cent of profit per share, you did good. Shut up. Like it, it is. These are a special class of people. They should all be put on the moon. Like it, it's and and then left there <laughs> as a warning to extraterrestrial life not to come any closer. But they were constantly angry at this company for not growing enough, and Bed Bath and Beyond responded to this by saying, "Okay, we'll we'll buy your shares back to increase. We'll buy some shares back to increase the value of the shares from the people owned by the people who are angry at us." And we'll load ourselves up with huge amounts of debt to do it. And somehow these people who are angry at us will not notice that part, which is more reason why they deserve the fate that I just assigned to them. To be ever so slightly fair to uh, the BBNB. No one is making you do this. To be slightly fair, a bank gave them the money to do that. Somebody was dumb enough to give them the money to do that. Listen. Banks are not real, okay? <laughs> they're not. They are at this point. I am convinced that they are literally. If you're a corporation, a bank is just a window that just says "ask," uh, like "order here." And you just go up and you say, "I want some money," and they just give it to you. Yeah, pretty much. Now realizing we could have included the whole Silicon Valley bank stuff in this episode. We. Oh my God. We can, like, you know, wrap it in right here. Isn't, like, like First Republic failing now, too? Didn't Chase just try to buy them? Yeah, Chase just bought another bank. Before we get into all of the banks that are failing, uh, so many banks, so little time, I I do want to quote some from this CNN article, which, you know, helpfully lays out the stock buyback problem. Quote, share repurchases are a way for companies to return cash to shareholders indirectly without them having to pay taxes as they would on a stock dividend. Sounds great. The idea is that by reducing the number of shares outstanding, each remaining share of the stock in the hands of investors becomes more valuable. For example, if a company earns $100 million in a quarter and it has 100 million shares outstanding, it earned $1 a share. If it repurchases 10 million of those shares, its earnings per share increases to a dollar and 11 cents or 11% even if its total profits don't increase at all. So you can make people rich without actually making any more money. Yeah, so fundamentally the two Wall Street and two CEOs and two investors, the point of a business isn't to Uh, make products or honestly it's not even to really grow or do anything it's just to transfer money from the hands of the people who make the the stuff into the wealthy that that's the only purpose of a company and this makes it abundantly clear because bed bath and beyond rather than spend you know a billion dollars on workers on training on pensions on anything they bought a bunch of stocks, basically transferring that wealth to the already super wealthy investors that they had. And like, quotes, investors. These are just people who are buying a piece of something. Like, they're not doing anything. Yeah, 
and in particular, so it sort of explains the problem that the entire economy is in, and it explains this problem with exponential growth, because as you've just pointed out, the relationship that investors have with companies, which they've, they pretended for a long time because it was to their benefit to pretend, was a mutually beneficial relationship, a symbiotic relationship. You know, we invest in your company so that you have the funds to do stuff that will then profit us. So it's supposed to be cyclical. But their actual relationship increasingly is extractive. It's we're going it, to it's all of these people see the companies that they invest in not as nest eggs, but as pumps and dumps. They see everything as how much can we inflate the value of this company before we cash out on it and leave it all together. Like it, it, the fact that any established business person felt like they could make fun of not, not that I want to stand up for crypto bros, but the fact that they wanted to make fun of them when they do the exact same thing is absurd. Like, these are the practices that we have in 21st century business. We have had them ever since 2007 because three successive administrations failed to do anything about any of it. No one got prosecuted. No one went to jail. No one got, like, exiled to an island in the middle of the Atlantic and left there like they should have been for crashing the global economy and causing food riots. Like, there should have been consequences. There weren't. All we taught rich people a few years ago, not not even that long ago, was that nothing was going to happen, no matter what they did. And we are seeing the knock-on effects of that right now. Uh, when you talked about this sort of pump-and-dump scheme, the idea of not looking to make a steady, lasting success with your investment in a company, but to frankly get rich quick i'm reminded of the story of like toys r us which went out of business a couple years ago before returning to business in zombie form because they'd been loaded up with so much debt from outside by people who were happy to extract fees on that debt or whatever it is that they did with the debt i don't pretend to know i don't want to know and the company basically buckled under the weight of a whole bunch of debt that they could never afford to pay back. It, nobody could reasonably have expected Toys R Us to pay off that sort of debt. And that's increasingly the business model, especially in retail. The CNN article also notes that, of course, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, not unique in the trend of stock buybacks. Uh, it cites the figure of, uh, quote, across corporate America, share repurchases reached a record $936 billion, according to S&P Dow Jones indices, up from $882 billion in 2021. Share repurchases are forecast to top $1 trillion this year. That seems good, right? Yeah, that's, that's wonderful for us. Like we're, we continue to be in an inflation crisis. Uh, we just continue to stagnate. Um, nothing is being done. We are all tell, told pretty explicitly that we're going to be replaced by AI. Uh, but 
companies are going to spend $1 trillion, so a goodly chunk of our military budget, to, for perspective, on stock buybacks, on transferring wealth to the already very wealthy. And, and like, the CEO of Toys R Us and all these people who are deliberately destroying these businesses and in some cases, removing resources and services from people. I'm not saying that Toys R Us is like a necessary service or anything, but these are, these are like ways that people get stuff. And they're all of our accesses and, and processes and, and services are just being concentrated further. There's a flippant joke one could make about the uh, kids now living in a Toys R Us desert, but, um, I, I think we should now take a break here. When we come back, things are going to get dumber. I I just have to say it. Things are going to get a lot dumber. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. After we spent the first segment talking about um, the shuttering of BuzzFeed and Bed Bath & Beyond, two companies that, frankly, I'm not sure we could have found a more disparate um, pairing there. At any rate, we're going to move on in this segment to the shuttering of something else that was near and dear to our hearts, the metaverse which I'm not sure is even technically shuddering. It's just that nobody uses it. And the guy who is wholly responsible for it being a thing seems to have lost interest. He, he has been very explicit that he has not lost interest and that he is not abandoning it. Even as the company is clearly not clearly like veering away onto the next big thing. Oh, wow. It's AI. And yeah. The sort of impetus for this segment of today's show is an article by Ed Zitron in Insider. Oh, that conveniently mentioned in our first segment. Headline RIP Metaverse. And it kind of lays out the brief, short lived, not very successful history of the metaverse as an idea. And where it stands today, which is to say, not on legs. Damn it. Uh, got it. Not, it was not that long ago that people were selling the metaverse as the next big thing. As the thing that was going to revolutionize how we lived our lives and how we attended work meetings. And this article helpfully like quotes those predictions and those statements from just a couple of years ago 
about just how powerful the metaverse would be. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella would say at the company's 2021 Ignite conference that he couldn't, quote, overstate how much of a breakthrough the metaverse was for his company, the industry, and the world. Satya Nadella, still the CEO of Microsoft, a gazillion dollar company, and has not been laughed out of having that job for having said such a patently ridiculous thing. The metaverse does not seem to have uh, lived up to the hype. No. There's there's a recent documentary uh, by Dan Olson called The Future is a Dead Mall, where he talks about the central land, which is kind of like one of the bigger metaverse projects, and talks about the fact that it's bad and it's always been bad and it has never reached even remotely the potential that it was supposed to. And one of the things that he talks about, which I thought was very sort of really gets to the heart of the matter. He talks about how the central lands cultists, which is what they are at this point, continue to push the idea and they have successfully managed to infiltrate this idea into the media, which is why it got so much fawning coverage from media outlets that just refuse to practice basic, basic journalism period was this idea that this is all a proof of concept. It's all going to be so much more amazing in the future. This is all just a, a, an early release, a beta, you know? So, if you don't buy in now, you're going to miss out when it is amazing. But in the meantime, that is a rhetorical posture that is used to A, shield against criticism, and B, indicate membership in the cult of people who have the kind of capital and social and economic capital to not have to care. Satya Nadella is never going to be left out of that job. Because if you're the CEO of Microsoft, you have reached a point at which the only things that will get you fired are tanking the company's share price. This is, I mean, we know this to be the case with a lot of politicians. And as we've said before on this show, there are plenty of people in this country who will take a lot of crap from their bosses and from rich people that they never would from a congressperson or a senator. You know, that that for some reason, that throw the bums out mentality just doesn't work. The the moment that you're the, the moment that it's one of their perceived social betters just because they have more money. And as a result, Meta had so much smoke blown up its butt because everyone formed ranks around it. All of these people. And so if you were a journalist covering it, you felt the need to follow that direction and say, oh, well, in the future, it'll be really amazing. Or believe things like 100,000 people are living in the metaverse. You can't live in the metaverse. You have to eat. <laughs> and as Dan Olson points out. You don't out, have food there. Yeah. You don't have food, you don't have legs. And as Dan Olson points out, taking this literally that you're going to live in the metaverse is stupid because, and I quote, your body doesn't fit inside the wires. Why this is a realization 
that a lot of these people can't come to is beyond me. But it apparently was like this, this like, not not even, it, shivalith isn't even the right word. It was like this this signaling that if you didn't agree, then you were just stupid. I, I mean, I think in part, some of the initial enthusiasm that a lot of very not so bright people had for the metaverse is the idea that and the unconscious recognition that our lives are terrible right now, that we live in a world that is increasingly unstable politically, economically, climatologically, that to have and want to believe in something that optimistic, to put it nicely, is that's that's the only way they could really rationalize what is going on around us. It's still not how I would want to spend my remaining time in post-apocalyptic future, uh, which we are rapidly heading towards. But, you know, I also didn't don't spend that much time on the internet period i don't know this is sort of you know a discussion of the failure of executives and ceos but noah you're right to point out that the metaverse specifically is also a failure of media it is a case where a lot of journalists were overly credulous about the promises being made and Frankly, a lot of people were reporting PR statements at face value. And there were a lot of PR statements to choose from. There were a lot of uh, press releases that got printed up as, you know, proof of the something behind all the smoke and mirrors. Again, Zitron quotes, um, quote, the consulting firm Gartner claimed that 25% of people would spend at least one hour a day in the metaverse by 2026. The Wall Street Journal said the metaverse would change the way we worked forever. The global consulting firm McKinsey, punching out favorite, predicted that the metaverse could generate up to $5 trillion in value, adding that around 95% of business leaders expected the metaverse to positively impact their industry within five to 10 years. Not to be outdone, City put out a massive report that declared the metaverse would be a $13 trillion opportunity. So if journalists were too easily led astray on this, it is because they were quite literally following the money. They you know, they saw banks and assume they saw Citibank talking about the metaverse and assumed that City knew what the hell it was talking about, which as we all know, big mistake. You should not do that. City is a bank. They are made up. Exactly. I'm glad I'm glad this is beginning to gain traction. Something you can't get on meta, because no legs. Legs. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the fact that that didn't immediately sink the project, you know? Number one, as as we've just pointed out, good, good luck sleeping knowing that these are the people who run the economy. Let's start with that. Th- that is the living nightmare that we are all in, 24 hours a day, just all the time, every second that we live. We're in hell. 
And then on top of that, <laughs> and then on top of that, as multiple people have pointed out, the fact that this is, if this were a Kickstarter video game, if this was a Steam early access pitch, it would be getting made fun of by probably the exact same outlets that covered the metaverse with so much fawning, laudatory cringe. People just forgot to, and and I know I'm going to sound, now I am definitely going to sound like a boomer when I say this, but like, people just forget to use their brains now. When you say anything about, oh, this great new technology, whether that's crypto or the metaverse or AI or whatever, they just go along with it. And there comes a point at which I, I get that you're following the money. I get that you think, you know, if all of these people are on this side, there must be something there, surely. But there has to be a point at which you have to see it. You, you, I don't understand how people aren't getting to the point where they say, there is no proof here. There is nothing to hang a hat on. There is nothing that actually works about any of this. Why do so many of us have such low standards when it comes to this stuff? I expect this crap from the CEO of Microsoft. I don't expect it from people who have to work for a living. Okay, first I'm going to make the cheap joke that there is something you can hang your hat on in the metaverse, but there's no place to put your shoes. (laughs) Moving on. Rule of threes. The Zitron article also links to an insider article from January 2022, less than a year and a half ago, about Walmart's plans to enter the metaverse, which, mm, real choice content in this article. Quote, despite many companies' plans for the metaverse, business leaders remain unsure of how to create a fully-fledged metaverse. Analysts at Morgan Stanley have said that the metaverse could be an $8 trillion opportunity, but the challenge would be getting consumers to buy into it. However, Walmart saw its online sales thrive in 2021, with sales at $11.1 billion in its third quarter, which could prove useful for Walmart's metaverse ambitions. Here, I want to ask the question, how? Continuing. A number of apparel-based retailers have already begun making their own metaverse experiences. Gap launched its first-ever NFT art collection last week, with digital art pieces starting at around $9 a piece. Where did they end, one wonders. Nike has spent over three years on patents outlining digital avatars to, quote, crypto kicks, with the company establishing its metaverse studio and acquiring digital sneaker company RTF. KT in December. What? Did you just say the words digital sneaker company? Yeah, which again, there are no feet. <laughs> Where are you going to put the digital sneakers? I was, well, here's the thing. I was about to ask. You said Walmart. Can you do the Walmart cheer without legs? The famous thing they have to do every morning? I think so. I think so too, right? It only involves the arms. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a YMCA. It's you don't need the legs for the YMCA. Oh my god. 
I have have either of you seen any of these metaverse experiences? Because I have, not personally, but through watching other people make fun of them. I've seen the Lint store, which was made in I think the software is called Beyond Excel. Did you say Lint? Lint. Yeah, the truffle people. Oh, not like the belly button stuff. Gross. Yeah, that's not I I to be fair, that is part of what would be in the metaverse, but <laughs> their their metaverse experience is the choppiest, laggiest tribute to 90s video game full motion video experience you have ever seen. All of it is horrendously mastered. And it ends up just linking you to an Amazon store or whatever it is. It's 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 a static store, is the point. This is what all of those brand activations are. They just send you to a normal website because that's way easier to use. The metaverse is what happens when a bunch of people hopped up on Ready Player One and Neil Stevenson, apparently, whom I've never read. It, it's what happens when you tell Ernest Klein, design the virtual world you want. And if you know anything about Ernest Klein, the person, or you've ever had the misfortune to read an interview with him, you know that that is somehow the only way the world could get more hellish. It, it's being ruled by people who want to think of themselves as nerds, but actually aren't. They're just wealthy. Yeah. Here we should take some time in the segment to note that after all of these grand predictions, all of these companies joining in on the metaverse, where do things stand, again, like less than two years later? Again, quoting from the uh, Zitron article, Meta's much heralded efforts struggled. By October 2022, Mashable reported that Horizon Worlds, which was its big flagship metaverse experience had less than 200,000 monthly active users, dramatically short of the 500,000 target Meta had set for the end of 2022. The Wall Street Journal reported that about only about 9% of user-created worlds were visited by more than 50 players, and The Verge said it was so buggy that even Meta employees eschewed it. Despite the might of a then-trillion-dollar company, Meta could not convince people to use the product it had staked its future on. Continuing, Microsoft shuttered its virtual workspace platform, Altspace VR, in January 2023, laid off the 100 members of its industrial metaverse team, and made a series of cuts to its HoloLens team. Disney shuttered its metaverse division in March, and Walmart followed suit by ending its Roblox-based metaverse projects. So the end story to all of this hype is people losing their jobs, which, as we discussed in a recent Punching Out episode, may have been based on nothing in the first place. It's unclear whether these people were actually doing anything. We know that Facebook was employing many people who didn't actually do anything. But nevertheless, here I'm punching out, we are typically on the side of the people losing their jobs, and that probably sucks for them. And it's just a shame that they were sold this fiction by the people employing them. That is ultimately the problem. The core issue of everything that has exploded since uh, the pandemic. 
of all of these tech fads that have dropped off the face of the earth the moment they become inconvenient for investors or the moment that, you know, Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen and the rest of these, again, fill in your favorite insult here, discover that, you know, there is no mass adoption coming. The common thread between all of them is that they are being used to destroy labor. People may not remember this, but once upon a time, these bros wanted to put unions on the blockchain. You know, nothing bad could come of that. They they wanted people to put their medical records on the blockchain. There was a while there where an ed project uh, that included the word blockchain could get a grant autom- pretty much automatically, like STEM used to be. And what's interesting about it to me is that they are always going for, in education, it's the humanities, in labor, it's creative labor, primarily, that they're, that they're going after. And I think that's why AI is seems to be doing the best job of sticking around, because these are people who are using their wealth and their social power to enact revenge. And their revenge is on anyone with frankly like a soul at this point like an understanding of the world as something more than a space that you try to own they are attempting to make it so that you suffer for wanting to be more than either a drone or a person with money they have no real personality of their own other than the things and the companies that they have. And they're angry about that, and they're taking it out on society as a whole. Musk, Zuckerberg, every single weirdo with an NFT profile pick, that's what they have in common. They are mad that the rest of us have the audacity to try and live our lives as actual human beings. We should take a break here. Uh cut short this segment when we come back we'll try to tie together the threads of today's episode we'll be back you're listening to punching out on whale 104.3 you can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on itunes soundcloud and other podcast apps we are also on facebook and twitter at punching out whale now back to the show Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Stonks. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, In our first two segments today, we've talked about some declining businesses, I I, I guess is the polite term you'd use for the things that have happened at Bed Bath & Beyond, which is closing its doors, at BuzzFeed and Vice, which are shuttering their news divisions, and at the company now known as Meta, but one wonders if they might rebrand away from that whole idea in the years to come. And I think if there is a theme here, it's this idea that like, if you're looking at the people who we have allowed to run the economy, do you think they've done a good job of that? Like, is there 
anything to suggest from the evidence on display here that these people have earned the power and wealth and authority that they are given, that they are treated with by fawning members of the press in some occasions. Are they actually worthy to lord over us in the way that they do? May I go first? Sure. Uh, my answer is no. Well, how are we going to fill the other 10 minutes? <laughs> I, I mean, what else? What? Yeah, no. I can say no for another 10 more minutes and just like, no. Because uh, the answer is absolutely not. These are mortal humans that we treat with way too much respect. And we fawn over them in a way that we make fun of people from the past fawning over their lords from their fief. And we treat them with way too much respect when they haven't earned it. Like it's one thing to respect somebody who has worked really hard to become masterclasses in their field, but there's no evidence whatsoever out there right now that any CEO has done any actual work other than knowing the correct people and going to the right school and building the correct networks in order to get to the position that they are in. And once they're in that position, they don't do anything but mess up. They don't do anything but extract wealth from, from the companies they're put in charge of. We treat them with too much respect. And I think that's a, a running theme of punching out for the past, I don't know, what are we doing this? Six years now, five years, something like that. A uh, long time that CEOs are not worth what they are paid. They're not worth the time and consideration that they're given by the media and a whole bunch of other very credulous people out there. Yeah, I think all of that is inarguable. I suspect that what's at the core of this in, in the American psyche, because I do think that, not, not that I think Americans are the only people to do this, but I think what's special about this country, what... um. The, the, the sort of American exceptionalism of it is that idea of the temporarily embarrassed millionaire. The American psyche says you shouldn't make fun of rich people and you shouldn't argue against their interests because the American dream says one day that might be you. And if you argue against their interests when you're not rich, then you are you are making the world harder for yourself if you ever do hit it big. There have been, and I have to use weaselly passive voice here because I I don't really have, you know, a, a passel of sources in my hand here, but there have been arguments that by explicitly forbidding a titled aristocracy in the Constitution, the U.S. just managed to calcify and even an untitled one that's actually harder to get away or or get out from under there are places in this country where the same families run everything that did when the country was founded that shouldn't be happening in a nominally constitutional democratic republic but it does because Rich people concentrate power. They concentrate money, obviously, and then in a capitalistic mode of production, that is power. 
the two go hand in hand. You need one for the other. But I think most of us don't want to accept that because we want to think that if we ever had money, we wouldn't be like them. We wouldn't be, depending on what your political alignment is, you know, you wouldn't be Bill Gates or you wouldn't be Jeff Bezos or you wouldn't be Warren Buffett or you wouldn't be whoever. And everything we have seen argues to the contrary. Because once you have money, once you realize, once you get a taste of how easy it is to live life as a person with money, you are on a different plane of existence. That, that's the society we've created. You've kind of undercut the other question I was going to ask with this segment, which is the idea that like the flip side of the question I asked at the start of do these people deserve the power that has been afforded to them that we've allowed them to have for, you know, X, Y, and Z years for X, Y, and Z reasons is if you had the resources that these people had available to them, wouldn't you spend it on something better than all of this? There has to be a better way to go about having Mark Zuckerberg's level of wealth than to fritter it away on what seems like something that not even he was committed to in the end. It's not that he was a tortured visionary who's you know, brilliant idea just couldn't hit mainstream audiences. It's something that he seems to have thought was a way to make more money. And as soon as that became glaringly, obviously not true, he's willing to abandon it for the next cool way to make money. Uh, quoting from the Zitron article, and Zuckerberg used his outsized wealth and power to get the whole of the tech industry and a good portion of the American business world into line behind this half-baked idea. And unfortunately, there are a lot of half-baked ideas that people have fallen into line with. Uh, the metaverse is a delightfully comic failure, but think about the other ideas that are no less absurd when you get down to it, but nevertheless still have the status that the metaverse did, you know, 18 months ago when it was being treated as the next big thing as, you know, the way we were going to live our lives in the future. I, I think I used the term in describing BuzzFeed's failure as, you know, not etched in stone, not faded or something along those lines. This is a common theme of punching out, but like, the future really is up for grabs, right? There is the one that these people are selling and there's one that the rest of us might actually want to live in. And it's not guaranteed that we'll end up in the former. The reason the metaverse existed and became the big thing for as long as it survived is because Mark Zuckerberg hasn't heard the word no. In years. Rich people in this country almost never hear the word no. The government is entirely captured by them. Regulation is insignificant in terms of cost to any of them because none of those laws have been updated since the 1960s. 
regulatory agencies are constantly hamstrung by a Supreme Court full of corrupt and uh, just horrendously useless people who can also go to the moon anytime they want. Thank you very much. And we could have done a whole segment on the Supreme Court. Now you bring them up. Well, that's none of the breaks on this system are working. There is no amount of social opprobrium that can get somebody like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk from getting off the boat when an idea is revealed to be terrible. Every social incentive and economic incentive is to double and triple down on it and to instead just force everyone else to play along. There are There is no regulation. There's no anti-corruption. There is no real government coming to save us. And on top of that, we have a media and a business world full of, as you pointed out, stupid cowards who are afraid to go against the grain, which is very interesting because that's what I've been told business people are supposed to be like. They're supposed to be risk takers who are willing to be visionaries to see the things that everyone else doesn't. And when you see a product as bad as Decentraland or as Horizon Worlds or as NFTs or as, frankly, like the output that ChatGPT has... When you see that and you don't immediately realize that the jig is up, if that isn't firing the detector in your brain that says something's not right here and you don't say something, not only are you part of the problem, but frankly, you don't deserve to be part of the solution either. And I think that's ultimately the issue. We are looking to the same We're not looking to the same people to solve these problems, but we are ultimately all trying to choose which neo-feudal lord we're going to declare allegiance to to get out from under this. And it's not going to work because none of them want to break the illusion. None of them are willing to actually argue about any of this. None of them are willing to say no. So instead, it's left to BuzzFeed's journalists to yell at somebody like Jonah Peretti about decisions he should have known were stupid when he made them. But he was trying to make himself money, not run a news site. Somebody should have been able to tell Mark Zuckerberg, this idea is stupid. This idea, literally and figuratively, doesn't have legs. But nobody was willing to do that in the room. Elon Musk had a million different times he could have been told, no, you're not going to buy Twitter because this is actually dumb. But instead, we had people cheering the purchase who are now asking for blue sky invites constantly because they they thought they would get to enact revenge on the rich and that's not how it's going to work their power has to be taken away it's not going to work because you posted them you're not in the room with them when they make these decisions that affect all of us and that is the only time that somebody denying them is going to work and none of us is going to get to do that not in the way that people think they're going to get to do that. For this week, I'm punching out. I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at PunchingOutWayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. 
Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.